0: Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer, one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers, and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. To that end, we have three central pillars to our writing manifesto. Number one, to help you write more. Number two, to help you write better. And number three, to help you be a little bit happier as you do those things. It is just a podcast about writing, but writing... It's about everything, isn't it? So sometimes it expands out. You know, much as I love talking about the, using strong verbs and nouns, and uh, or winnowing down adverbs and adjectives to give to, to create robust p- prose. Much as I I, I love uh, waxing lyrical about the uh, s- subjunctive clause and and the passive voice. Much as I love the um nuts and bolts of writing um, and, and and as much as i find it incredibly comforting to take life and hold it with the oven gloves of jargon uh writing's about life isn't it is it is this deeply telling stories is this profoundly human thing we do not necessarily the best thing we do i know writers are very uh Given to uh, self-mythologizing and talking about how what we do is the kind of primary activity of all humanity and what separates us from the animals and all this business, but you know this podcast is is, is about everything really. I, I uh, through the lens of writing that's the the kind of like flavor that's the how I can justify, but but it is about everything and also because I I just want to talk about everything really because that's the kind of person. I am. Hi. Um, Today's episode is going to be one of my um, infamous stroke famous um, stroke obscure writing rambles where I just talk about what's on my mind at the moment and I put writing in front to kind of make it uh, relate to writing Um, but often it sort of very quickly um, goes off into the weeds especially because quite a lot of the time I've ended up talking about my mental health and um, which affects my ability to write and do all those kind of things but you know, like I, I'm i prefacing this with a bunch of apologies, really, which I always do because it's, I never edit it, I never plan it. The writing rambles are just anything that really occurs to me as I'm recording them, and some listeners like that, and some I, I think are probably a little bit more lukewarm on them and prefer slightly more structured episodes, and that's fine because I always do those as well. But this week I'm doing a writing ramble because I haven't done one in a while because I've taken a big pause from um, recording podcasts because busyness and especially with the project I'm working on you may know if you've listened to previous episodes I'm working on a non-fiction book about anxiety and panic and my own experiences and I've been talking to experts all around the world and I'm just kind of putting together a first draft and finalizing that and that has been taking up a huge amount of my time and obviously just life at the moment is very time consuming we had a little bit of a family emergency a couple of weeks ago uh you know somebody I really care about was in peril and they're they're back home and they're okay now and that's good but that you know all of these things take their toll you know what like I, I, I we'll leap into some stuff and we'll talk about some stuff and I haven't prepared stuff to talk about but but I'm sure we're gonna find something and by the end of this I'll kind of like tie it all up in a neat little uh, not a neat little bow but it'll some kind of like uh, there'll be some kind of like thematic return or callback but um I'm just kind of Thinking about when things go wrong and, and and forgive me if i repeat themes that i've talked about before i think like a lot of these uh talks um i i tend to go back to banging the drum about and maybe even retelling anecdotes gosh when i got married um on my on my stag do uh my my best man made a quiz that w the, the theme of which was me and uh one of the questions was like uh was people had to sort of ident- correctly identify anecdotes that i repeatedly tell uh, uh out of a sort of list of sort of like there were some there were some multiple choice questions and 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 to my to my absolute <laughs> mortification um two of the anecdotes included were ones that i'd that i that i told to my friend Nathan on the way to the stack do on the train and I had no idea I didn't think I'd tell them to people before but apparently I tell them all the time so like look I I I know a little bit like hearing from me um come out with one I imagine a kind of like spontaneous uh bon mots witticisms and uh wise words on human life often I'm kind of just repeating stuff like an amnesiac and uh, that is a, something that is a lived reality for many people who um, choose to be in my close sphere of friends and family. And well, I suppose my family didn't choose that; they just was kind of stuck with me. Um, that 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 Tim Clare repeats things a lot, whilst being completely unaware that he's not telling you for the first time. I hope that that is a sign, um, more of. Self absorption and impoliteness than uh, early cognitive decline. But I guess we'll see, and I probably will be the least aware of that. Anyway, what I was gonna, what I think I was gonna jump into was this idea like uh, at the beginning of this year, gosh, do you remember that when I started releasing the um, 100 day writing challenge? And I said right at the beginning, whenever you embark on a writing project, even if at the time you're not admitting to yourself that you're embarking on a writing project something that just does not get talked about i think at all or 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 seldom in writing creative writing manuals in how to writing manuals in in most conversations with writers about writing is that you have to write especially if you're doing a novel you are writing um in the real world as a person of flesh and blood um Uh, in an uncertain, continuing human existence. And if you write a novel, it is so long, the process of writing it, that inevitably, inevitably, somewhere along that process, something either in your personal life or in the world is going to go wrong. Some, Some unexpected, unforeseen event is going to occur. Something is going to intervene or interpose itself or trouble the beautiful sort of like line of expectance that you've written out on your wall chart on your little graph of how many words you'll need to do a day and your little extrapolations if you're that in that way minded stuff is going to intervene work stress family stress personal stress someone you love is going to be in trouble or some international event of colossal magnitude is going to intervene something will happen at least one thing maybe multiple things because you know life's like that life doesn't go oh you've had oh I see you've had some bad news this week (laughs) well what I'll do is that actually gives you immunity it's not like it's not like in Mar in Super Mario right where if you if you're big Mario and you get you get hit, you land on a piranha plant or something and you shrink down. Um, You have a a few moments of that flashing invincibility where you can't be hurt. Um, uh, I suppose actually technically if we're going to, you know, this is the mistake of using a Super Mario metaphor is immediately I start picking it apart with my own obsessive knowledge of Super Mario. Technically in, in, in the literature of the late 80s, early 90s when we used to write about these things, invincibility is when Mario gets a Superstar gets a star right that's invincibility is when you touch uh an enemy the enemy dies. what I meant there when I say you get hit and you turn small, that moment of, of of kind of flickering kind of gauziness is actually invulnerability. You can't be hurt, but you can't you don't you pass through other sprites anyway that that's sort of beside the point of what I was trying to say, but like look like life is unfair. And it's always really surprised me. I I probably have talked about this before, but that like people of a um, and I'm using broad strokes here, but the kind of people who say life isn't fair. Hey, life is life isn't fair. Life is unfair. Hey, you know, that isn't fair. Well, life isn't fair. Um, Those people are often the kind of people who also will argue. (laughs) I'll say life isn't fair, but. We shouldn't have a welfare state. We shouldn't prop people up with, um, uh, you know, uh, uh a, a large sort of public sector. And you get, you get out what you put in in life. Life isn't fair. You can't have both of those things, right? If life isn't fair, we should anyway. I'm getting into politics, but you get the idea, right? Like, I, I do think life isn't fair, and that's why we should all be super kind to each other, and we should work to create systems that support people when things go wrong and um recognize that often we get to certain places through luck but in terms of writing what the reason i think it's important is because we have these kind of like platonic models of what the creative process ought to be that just do not take into account especially with the kind of like length of time that a novel or a non-fiction book takes to write that the person you are at the beginning is not the person you are at the end it just can't be not even because of the process of being changed through writing the book although I do think that is one thing right that you teach yourself how to write each book but also just because life like you will have gone through I mean I don't know what your speed of writing is I suppose there are some writers who can write a novel in three months but for most of us it's over a year and things will change and things will happen and you you have to be a person inside all of this world of stuff that's going on right like you're trying to be a right there's this idea that writing is just something we just tend to forget that writing is done by humans living a life um where the people around them are you know mortal and vulnerable and things go wrong and you have emotions and you have a job and the world has events and the future is uncertain and we talk about like you know as if writing a a novel is this kind of like Tempor- temporally fungible experience that that writing a novel now is the same as it was writing a novel 10 years ago is the same as writing a novel in 10 years time that, that, that any piece of advice is somehow timeless and and that's not true because your personal circumstances whether you've whether you've got like a huge family and you're responsible for multiple children and they, they you know they've got to come first, whether you're on your own and, and then you're you're having to like manage your time, maybe you're, you know, mourning the absence of a family that you would have really loved to have, or or maybe you're, you know, really envious of people who have more time. Maybe you have space to write and you've got like a shed at the end of your garden that you can retire to. Maybe you've got no real personal space at all in your house maybe your job takes up a huge amount of your time maybe you manage um physical limitations or sort of mental health limitations that that that, that can make some things that for other people would be almost thoughtlessly easy very difficult for you maybe you know you doubt your talent but then also maybe things happen in your life you know maybe there are people stresses or Maybe, you know, like's happened this year, you know, a huge thing has happened globally that's affected everyone, um, but different people to different degrees as well. These things happen while we're trying to write, and it can be really hard to sort of make sense of what you do with that. And sometimes you can, you know, writing a novel is hard; can be hard enough as it is. You know, I don't think it has to be intrinsically painful. I think it's always going to be difficult. But Tetris is difficult, right? But Tetris isn't painful. You know, people choose to play it, including me, because it's enjoyable. A crossword can be difficult but enjoyable. Like, taking a penalty in football can be difficult but enjoyable, right? If you score, that's great. It wasn't easy, but it wasn't painful, right? So, like, with writing, we've got this always going to be difficult hopefully because it will be challenging you but it doesn't have to be psychically horrible right but if you're doing this incredible thing that takes a lot of your mental resources this challenge that is pushing you to become more than you were before you started the process of writing this book you've got to research stuff and then either in your personal life or in the world outside or somebody you love you know something goes really wrong you've got that stress coming back to the book can just feel like why am i even what's the point of this what's the point of this you know like what? where's the meaning in this does the world need this is this what i want to be doing (laughs) with my life you know and, and those are not stupid questions and i think they're also probably questions that stop a lot of people from writing at some point in the process my my suspicion is I haven't got data for this because of the nature of it would be fascinating I wonder how you would put it together but I, I my assumption is that more novels are written that don't get finished that seems like a contradiction in terms more novels are started and not completed than are completed and far more novels are completed that are uh, sold and actually reach readers. But I'd imagine that that is then another order of magnitude on ones that are started but uh, put down and never picked up again. And I think a lot of the time that comes down not so much to a shortfall in craft, but a shortfall in meaning. A shortfall in, why am I doing, you know, why is it, why am I when i have these other stressors in my life why would i choose to do this thing that i feel a bit insecure about i feel slightly inadequate about that is very lonely that's time consuming why would why would i continue with this and i i think in a time of i i've been right so i periodically just like shut off the news shut off social media so i don't have to really deal with the day-to-day tracking of what's going on with the pandemic and I I don't propose to sort of talk about it in any detail um, now because I've found that I can't like I can't I, I my anxiety side is such that I start just gaming stuff out and if I were in charge of sort of regional epidemiological epidemiological responses you know i had to allocate re- resources of like um public health uh organizations then yeah i would have to read the news and follow these things and track them right um but i don't I uh, so i'm you know because of that reason because i don't have any control over it i can't exert control over it apart from you know complying with stuff that I'm asked to do and trying to you know help support organizations and stuff because I, blow by blow I don't need feedback I'm I'm just cutting it all off um and I you know have been periodically doing that all year in fact um so yeah and, and I, <laughs> so please please in your emails don't don't include up, updates on what's going on because I'm I, I guess it's like trying not to find out the football results for an entire year um It's not always successful, but it's, it's it's what I've been doing. But like, it can it can I can see why some people have just you know there was all this stuff when people got furloughed and stuff and went into lockdown where there was there was a great big outpouring. I got asked to write articles where they were like, "Hey Tim, can you talk about how people are going to be, you know, can finally start that novel they were always meant to write." I was just like, "Are you fucking kidding?" I didn't put it like that. I, <laughs> But I did, you know, I did write in in those terms, which is just like this is the I mean like look, don't get me wrong, if it gets you through something and you're moved to do that, by all means, but the idea that in a time of great stress and disruption, it is easier to write it's just Uh, it's just bollocks and it's gonna hurt you if you start thinking well I should be producing stuff now and 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 the the vast majority of people feeding back to me have been saying how difficult that they'd found it to, to embark on huge new projects I think some people who had something ongoing were able to use that as a kind of Follow it as a kind of like, uh, you know, a kind of like ball of twine leading them out of the labyrinth because uh, sometimes it had a, it was already operationalized, there was already a little bit of a routine, there was already a little bit of a path and intimation of somewhere to go out in front of them. But I think embarking on something completely new, quite a scary prospect, right? However, you know, and, and I just think there's that feeling actually of, of just like why with everything that's happening and 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 my anxieties very quickly jump from one global disaster to another until I'm just gaming out every existential threat to humanity and then ones in my own personal life as well and gosh how's this gonna affect me and how's this gonna affect my relationships and how's this gonna affect you know my ability to be a, a decent father and husband is the pressure going to you know break up my family because i'm so anxious and crap and all these kind of macro and micro from the kind of like most piddly little nonsense to the kind of like big existential scale and even when i get past that i'm just like start thinking about the heat death of the universe and the meaning of life and stuff like that which are not you know they're 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 reasonable things to think about but probably not when you're in anxious mode, right? Because your brain is still like looking for threats and how do I deal with this? And it's just like no, you're a set of, you know, you're just, well, I'm just like a complicated E. coli bacterium with a better cover story, really, you know. Like I just, I, and 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 I can think further ahead. I can think beyond my competence. I can I can think myself to every scenario in which i can't survive and then and, and yeah that's we've got this this the imagination right the imagination this thing that powers stories that is our greatest our greatest curse and our greatest weakness the incredible what was it pb shelley there is no the greatest instrument of moral good is the imagination something like that because we can imagine how things could we can see uh, the world and we can imagine ways that things can be better you know every the microphones I'm speaking to you, through. You now started everything that d- didn't evolve started as a concept in a human being's mind as a piece of imagination. These stories we tell are often telling us ways of being of showing uh, ways of being different or better or possibility, but they also allow us to model terrible, frightening things. And because our you know, the, our autonomic nervous system and our HPA axis and all those kind of like our fight, flight and freeze response doesn't have a great repertoire of answers to threats. Like, it just knows, hey, would you like some adrenaline? Would you like some cortisol? I can make you want to breathe faster. I can start breaking down some some sugar that's like we can release that from the muscles so you can run faster or punch something have some hey would you like some endogenous opioids some endorphins so you won't feel so much pain if like a claw rakes open your arm and it's like well i'm so i was actually thinking about how the economy is going to play out over the next three years unfortunately that doesn't really that doesn't really help me deal with 2022 thanks for the adrenaline though now i can't stop vibrating you know like these are things that we (laughs) this is how our body responds to these things the imagination is an incredible thing but it can spark there's a kind of interface with our kind of like lower um biologies right That, that you know from kind of like early mammalian biology that just 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 can create some crazy interactions and super unhelpful ones and so, unsurprisingly, it's not very easy to write when your body is jacking you up to be able to fight off ninjas. You go, oh, I'm not sure this is going to be very good. I'm not sure anyone's going to like this. Am I wasting my time? Am I stupid? And your body goes, oh, sh- shit, do we have to run? Do we have to... Do you want, Oh, do you, maybe you want to freeze so you don't attract... The attention of a predator. Oh, no, you want... Oh, you want to fight it, maybe. Maybe you want to... Maybe you want... Or we could go for the full panic. The full panic thing. The just kind of, like, flailing thing. You are now in the predator's jaws and uh, we're just going to make you flail and scream so much that it eventually decides it's not worth it and drops you. Right? Like, none of those things are useful for most of the... deeply conceptual... futury issues we deal with and i wonder whether this year at points if you have been writing you've had these moments of sort of wrestling with the meaning of it all i think however that at times of great uncertainty although they are not the best or easiest time to begin a project the emotions that they stir up the questions that they make us ask the feelings that they unlock the crusted kind of like carapaces of self protection that f- start falling down in the face of the world is horrible <sighs> sometimes gets in touch with what's important us g- gets us in touch with what's important and sometimes makes us realize that really there's nothing we have left to defend you know like our pride and pride is a very judgmental way of talking about our positive self image our self compassion you know but our desire to protect ourselves from rejection and pain are uh, when you just go maybe maybe everything's going to collapse maybe we're all going to die maybe everything's really bad then that kind of like that feeling of like what if someone doesn't like my book sort of starts to feel like oh it doesn't really matter a sense of mortality which exists whether you feel the world is threatening or not that sense of mortality and limited time is just another way that through something that's quite you know like is actually really terrifying and painful we can actually just let go of worrying about whether this book or this t- or today's contribution is going to be good enough, because it doesn't it doesn't matter, really. It, I mean, it, 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 I know it, it it sounds like a very very crappy silver lining is going. Well, you're going to die anyway, so you might as well write. But I just mean it can be freeing, because you go ah, you get to let go it doesn't it doesn't it does it just does not matter i know i've talked about this before but um i just was reminded of it because today uh, a listener sent me an email and um as as many of you do and um and and, and they, there was a line in it that made me think of something that i'd been thinking about they said Every time I th- I've thought of writing to you, I picture your inbox overflowing with messages from other more eloquent fans and I wonder what else I can add. Um, and I, That's the, you know, that's what, how, have you felt that as a writer, right? You know, I just, I, yesterday I read, in a day, I read the new Susanna Clarke novel, uh, Pir- Piranesi. I think that's how it's pronounced and it's amazing like and I I, I, it's a deeply unoriginal position to think Susanna Clarke is a brilliant author I'd love to have her on the podcast I've been unsuccessful in uh, uh, convincing her publicist to get her on the show but I would love to speak to her Um, although I don't know that I do a particularly good job because I'm kind of in awe of her work but I read this new novel. I'm not going to give any spoilers. Or even any indication of what it's about. Like my feeling is just. I would read it. It, it was very very in my wheelhouse. Of stuff I like. But. I loved it. And I read it all in like one session. Unfortunately, because it's shorter than Jonathan Strange. And Mr Norrell, I was able to read it in one session. Without going insane from sleep deprivation. But just. It was so good, and it was so good that it was a little bit sickening, because I and look not to say she, you know not to say she didn't struggle writing it that she didn't put in effort that it's not you know that it came I'm not suggesting it came easily to her that she's just some sort of like magic maybe she is incredibly talented and it was sort of this savantish world that it came off as a first draft but I suspect it was it took a lot of effort and even any effort that wasn't in this specific book, you know, a a life of loving words and reading and the subjects that she writes around, you know, all contributed to that. So there's always lots of labour that has gone in and it was earned. But you just read it and go, oh, given this, what could I add? (laughs) What can I add to the world of writing? Because this, this is the juice. This is it. Like, this is the thing. This is a book. Like, you know, this is a novel. Like, I just go, hey, it's you, you did it well well done you you've done the you've done a, you've done a novel and you've done one successfully and for me this is like the hardest challenge in the arts and you've just done a you've just done a great one like this is brilliant i read it i started off i was enjoying it from the first page and i got to the end, end and i was enjoying it then and i enjoyed it all the way through and i'm still thinking about it and it was great and it made me think and it made me feel and it was wicked you've done a great thing right well how can i possibly the best i could the best the best i could possibly hope to do is is, is like i don't know maybe like it, it you know it's you know it's kind of it's kind of perfect right i don't have any complaints so how what, what why do i need to do anything then <laughs> why, what? it's like we can go home switch switch the lights off start stacking chairs so the the, the novel has been written we can go home <laughs> it, it's been done. It's fine. Look, someone's. Look, Susanna Clark's already on here. <laughs> she's done it. It's all right. I know we've all been laboring about trying to write a, a, a great story over kind of like 60,000 words or not. It's all right. She's done it. <laughs> she, she's done it really well. <laughs> it's like we, no one needs to have another go. What? So, of course, like, and this feeling of like, why? What, what could I possibly why would I think that I'm the, the... How could you even step into that and then start going, well, no, I'm going to write now. I'll have a crack at this. It's like, it seems nuts and pointless, right? And the same thing, you know, with writing to someone to say thanks for the thing, writing to a friend you haven't seen, writing to a friend who maybe is struggling, you know, does a does a you know troubling Facebook post or something and saying that they're feeling low. You can kind of just think. Well, I won't. I won't step in and say anything because this was, you know, the cl- classical social psychology called this bystander bystander apathy. But um, that's a bit too judgmental, and that's a, a problematic term. That's been picked apart the original studies on that, anyway. But it's not bystander apathy in this case, is it? It's that feeling of like, well, surely, you know, what could I possibly add? And what I'll say is, one, um, the the email that I got sent today was lovely to receive. and I felt really, just, I love all of the messages I receive from people. It means a lot. And I read all of them. I don't reply to all of them because I don't often have anything sort of like to respond except to say thank you and I'm a bit busy and stuff. But I'm, I read all of them, definitely. And I appreciate all of them um, that aren't. There aren't complaints or abuse but they're very very rare um and even then they often have a point you know (laughs) and sometimes they're no complaint no abuse uh, not too fond of complaints and criticism is fine like i it's actually often been really helpful to help me get a bit better but the there's i've talked about this before but it just and this is what might seem a bit bit serious to go into but i about 11 years ago um my agent at the time and also a sort of good friend uh she'd been looking after my first book we can't all be astronauts and she'd sold it and then she met but you know you still have this kind of thing where the agent is helping you um uh sort of like Helping the relationship between you and the editor as you write the book, and especially with nonfiction, you often sell the book before you finish writing it. And I got a message from her basically saying, "Look, I'm um, I'm really sorry. I'm, you know, I'm 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 ill, and you know, I've gone to hospital, and I'm feeling very depressed, and um, I don't think I can, you know, do my job for you, and I'm really sorry for letting you letting you down." And I I just was like, read that and I was like, you must be joking. You've done so much for me. You've done so much for me and my family. Like I, she negotiated my first ever book deal. And I found out the news on the day I went to see my granddad who was in hospital with cancer. And he had always wanted to be a writer and he'd been a lecturer and then he had throat cancer well he was still a quite a young man and he had to have a tracheotomy this operation on his throat and it meant that he couldn't speak i don't know if you ever heard someone with a tra- tracheotomy but you have to basically uh aspirate and vocalize through a series of belches and you breathe through a hole in your throat and he thought he was gonna he might there's a good chance you know it wasn't back then the survival rate for these kind of operations of a cancer itself was not great and he thought he might not survive the operation and he did but it didn't mean he couldn't work as a lecturer anymore and it did mean you know he basically spent the rest of his life kind of like early in early retirement and he played the piano and he wrote sort of essays and I think he'd always wanted he always kind of was a kind of like artist Monquet, this kind of like person who would have liked to have done more or felt like felt quite unfulfilled with what he contributed in some ways. And he um he you know, he was someone who introduced me to lots of books and read my writing when I wrote and, you know, I'd show him bit things I'd written and he'd give me feedback and I always looked up to him as this Kind of like a philosopher at large, and loved him very, very much, and I miss him. And um, anyway, she she negotiated this deal that I only found out about uh, the day that I went to visit my granddad in hospital when he was dying, and um, and I told him, I've you know I'm, I've got a book deal, I'm going to be published, and he'd known this was dream of mine all my life and he said he said this is the best. he said this is the best news I've had since the end of the war he was so pleased and um that was the last time I saw him. I told him that, that and um I went and he died he died a few days later. And I think that exchange brought him some real hope and happiness at, at the end of his life. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that my getting published was the only thing, but I think it was something that was meaningful to him. I think he loved me. I think it's something that he'd always wanted for himself, and so he got to feel like he'd passed that on a little bit. That was one aspiration, that he'd achievement that through his, you know, think I think it, you know, I'm not saying it was like the only thing or the crux of it but i think it just felt it felt brought him happiness and it brought him some meaning and it felt you know almost fated and um i think it also helped my dad as well to be there and see that it brought my granddad some his father some happiness um there was you know and um And so the idea that she had, my agent at the time, had not helped, you know, had done anything wrong, or but being it was just just ludicrous. They'd sort of done more for me than really anyone um, professionally had ever done. And so I thought about what I just told you, and I I thought about you know how how crazy that was, and. I thought you know I really need to write her a, a proper letter saying all of this and, and just emphasizing out how like you are uh, you've done so much for me you never ever have to do anything ever again like if you just you know want to stay at home with like a blanket over your legs and watch tv like your self-worth and your importance are not in any way um dependent on doing stuff for people you know or achieving stuff or being or having some kind of function in my life professionally like that's no 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 and and this is what you've done and how much I respect you and how much I've enjoyed you know map of you know festivals and stuff and all of these things I thought and I started like elaborating it out in my head and a couple of days had passed and there were some other things going on in my life like some, unha- some unhappy times like with relationships and stuff where I was distracted and but I wanted it to I just felt like it had to be good and um and then and then a little bit of time had passed so I felt like I, I needed to make sure it really was good because I hadn't just replied to the text um and then and then and then one morning I was woken by my, my mobile phone going off and it was my friend telling me that she that she she'd taken her own life And um, I think it's uncontroversial to say it would have been better just to send the inadequate, sincere, flawed text message saying some of those things rather than delaying because I wanted to get it perfect. Um... And I think, on a sort of much, that's influenced a lot of how I can. It took a while to turn the ship around, like in terms of how I conduct myself in life. But I think I'm much more of a, a gushy, emotionally incontinent, um, immediate. Ah. expressive person than I was back then um it's taken practice and I had to still work at it um because I don't because the the danger of getting it wrong um telling someone something affectionate when they don't I don't mean like I don't mean like giving sexual comment compliments to a a coworker. I mean like saying I think you're really I think you're really great and I just want to say you've been such a great friend not not like I don't I don't mean like making a pass at someone I mean just telling people how much I appreciate them even if it makes me seem occasionally a little bit schmaltzy a little bit ersatz a little bit like um that that, that kind of slight I I, I know I, I know from having been around sort of certain um certain type of person except especially sort of certain type of people who tend to to be sort of like to do theater that you that sometimes people can sort of chuck out compliments while not making eye contact with you and um it can seem very false and so just telling someone that how much you appreciate them it doesn't necessarily translate into actual you know people like action but I, I suppose I just did the consequences of saying stuff or doing stuff or sending the email or taking the risk or reaching out or any of these things has always just been like well much much less risk than the kind of risk of regret and not saying things and um you know that's a very extreme example but I do feel there's an urgency and not one that should fill us with adrenaline but one that we should just see as freeing Like, there's no... There's there's no way of getting this right. (laughs) And we're all... Mortality is coming for all of us. And most of us will write books that will be forgotten. And even the books we write that maybe... If we write a book that is cherished and loved and is read for centuries, then... Which I think is, you know, going to be none of us really. But even if that happens it won't really be us that'll be remembered it'll be the people interacting with it putting their own interpretations on it and it'll be just part of the ongoing kind of human dance and, and the stories we make anyway are not really our own are they they they're, they're, they're borrowed from the from the from the common imagination you know they're, they're all the stories i have that i ever come up with are, are, are things that have been handed on to me by other people and i suppose what you know what i'm getting at what i'm moving towards is just this idea that and, and sorry this isn't just a long pitch for you to send me kind fan mail I'm not saying like hey you want to send me something because you don't I'm not going to be around forever all right I don't mean it like that I, I just mean in terms of your writing or writing something silly or just doing a daily writing practice for yourself it's not like hey I mean, I'm, I'm emphatically not saying hey you need to write your masterpiece now because if you screw this up your chance is gone i think that is the, the, the least conducive thing to creative writing it's like you need to the world awaits your masterpiece don't be stupid come on like no like what the point is like it, it, i would say it's more important what you can't afford to wait for is being is being kind to yourself and writing for you. What what you can let go of is the idea that you need to impress other people that you're going to be personally validated by finally writing the thing and then sitting in the chair while the audience clap and being on a panel of writers while people ask how did you get how did you, how were you influenced to write your book. You know, like it doesn't if you didn't enjoy doing it, it doesn't matter. Like that isn't going to make up for it. I think. You, just but if you love what you do if if you can start finding that intrinsic motivation if you can just go hey you know what like I don't have to do this for anyone else it's just so liberating it's amazing it's great and I was thinking about like writing in troubling times you know I was thinking about writing in troubling times and when it seems pointless and I think there's two things that can like really I, and I think actually, what sometimes the reason the it feels meaningless suddenly, is because perhaps part of us, what part of us was motivated by those extrinsic. Maybe people are like this. Maybe I'll be able to quit my job and write all the time. Maybe I, you know. Maybe I'll. You know, some people will be kind to me, and I'll get to go and sit on a panel, or I'll get a prize, or you know, I'll get some recognition. One of those things and I, I mean people say oh it's kind of egotism it's not it's like you're trying to look after yourself right you want oh maybe then maybe i'll be all right maybe i'll be able to like myself then right but and then when you know all this stuff sweeps past the, all of that's threatened the infrastructure that allows that to be possible is threatened and we go oh maybe it won't you know maybe what i'm doing isn't gonna you know there won't be fan conventions for my uh, to for people to read my fantasy novel or that you know they People aren't gonna be going to the bookshop and getting out a book on set in fifteenth century France. Who's gonna care about that now? You know, and actually all of that is to do with other people. And in a way it's quite good to have those motivations challenged and knocked down because then you have to build up from the inside. I think about like books that were written during the Second World War. A time when, like, I don't, I don't need to give you a summary of the Second World War, but I think there was something like, I think during the, I think during the Blitz, like during the, the, the Second World War, I think over the whole of the Second World War, the London averaged kind of like one bombing raid every thirty-six hours. That's the that's the average. I think in, in, for some periods it was like every you know, every few hours in some of the most intensive raiding. But, like, you know, whole streets are being blown up. <laughs> like, <laughs> imagine it, like... Ad- I, I know this is, like, the least incisive historical uh analysis ever, but, like, Adolf Hitler is alive and expanding and winning. You People were alive then, right? When Nazis, the fascists, are, like, armed... Expanding across Europe and led by Hitler and, and, they're, and at this point they're they're winning and taking over. You know, some yeah. wags are gonna say, Well aren't the fascists taking over and winning again? Not in the same way, right? Like the and actual bombs are falling out of the sky and onto people. And you don't know that the Allies are gonna win are going to beat them back you don't know what's going to happen you don't know that japan isn't gonna take the entire pacific and take over china and you don't know that japan isn't gonna frigging isn't gonna successfully invade australia i mean they they got close right like there's a there's a lot of decisive battles that could have gone multiple ways and who's gonna and which neutral countries are gonna sort of like Come out in favour of whom? Like, America isn't even in the war at the beginning. Like, all of... And yet, in the teeth of that, people still sat down and, and wrote novels, right? When there's bombs falling out the sky on Britain every night. When there are people... In your family, people from your street fighting when we don't know who's going to win. When there's years of this to come and you don't know that. People sat down in their, whatever, you know, space they could find in an attic space, in a shed, in their room you know, with a, with, you know, maybe a, a pencil and some paper, and, and they, and they, and they wrote, maybe, you know, maybe they had a typewriter or something, but they, you know, they, they sat down and they wrote, and it's interesting what they, they wrote, I mean, one of those people was, was, was Tolkien, was J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote, the Lord of the Rings, right? And he'd survived the First World War. He'd fought in the First World War. He'd lost friends in the First World War. And to a great extent, the Lord of the Rings follows up the story of of, of, of like somebody who tried to sort out this thing years before and had and the corruption from that something that they didn't realize back then had continued and grown and festered, and now a great and terrible reckoning was going to happen and and, and 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 you know to, to the Lord of the Rings is in, to my mind and I, I don't have any issues with people who who sort of say that there's parts of it that are racially problematic or you know that it doesn't have great representation for women I I think that's absolutely true. I also happen to think that it's one of the great works of English tragedy and it's an incredible story about war and male companionship and, and and loss and industrialization and it and it and it tries to process huge cultural traumas and especially things that men were unable to talk about for various reasons. Um and Tolkien writes about it at a time when the world is falling apart and he spends years and years and years meticulously constructing this story, he didn't, I mean, I, I, my understanding is he thought that the story was going to end in in, in Brie, right? Like he, not the cheese in the location in, in Lord of the Rings. Like he, he thought, he didn't really realise that Bilbo was going to have to go, that uh, Frodo was going to have to go all the way to Mount Doom until he started writing. You know, much of the story he felt out as he wrote, but then he created maps and language, and um, and he worked out how long it would take the different sort of parties to cross the amount of land they did. So when they when 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 the group split up, um, the the the, the, the time that the length their lengths of journey sort of made sense, and you know he wrote and wrote these kind of in- incredibly incisive emotional moments about the effects of war and I still think the end of 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 Lord of the Rings where Sam is at home and he cannot communicate what he's been through and nothing's really ever going to be the same for him again um the the bonds and the trauma and all those things it's it's an incredible moment and it's the most mundane moment in the whole of Lord of the Rings but I think the the rest of the high fantasy and the world creation kind of just throws it into stark relief but you know he 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 wrote that (laughs) during you know between sort of 1937 and 19 49 what there, there was stuff going on right the world completely changed and he and he and he, he he kept going and he worked through it and i know he had servants and stuff like that and i'm not suggesting that everyone has the resources to devote that much time to something but i mean my goodness what what a time to be writing and to be writing through and what a, a kind of legacy that book passed on to the world I, I think like a, a another sort of less well-known book and i'm going to name another of the inklings this is c.s lewis but i love the screw tape letters right and it came out in like 1942 so he wrote it during 1941 when the when the blitz was happening right and, and it's referenced you know that the the fact that if you haven't read the Screw Tip Letters, it's a series of letters from a devil to his nephew explaining how to tempt uh humans um away from the light of God into hell. And it's very funny. Um, you know, I'm not a big fan of C. S. Lewis's slightly hectoring kind of like Christian um apologetics. But but because he gives the narration over to a devil here who is arguing the exact inverse of what um, C.S. Lewis believes? It's kind of wonderful because he gets to write in this very mischievous, satirical tone. I've talked before about how much I love sc- the Screw Tape Letters, but it's a great, it's a great way of d- device for writing something. Right? If you believe, especially if you want to write a polemic, especially if you believe something very strongly, what a great idea. What a great restriction, what a great way of forcing creativity to hand the narration over to someone who believes the exact polar opposite of what you believe. The exact, like, uh, screw tape, the, 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 the devil, like, his understanding is that um, the devil wasn't thrown out of hell, but was so disgusted with God's betrayal that he um he ejected himself from heaven at, at a speed that could have made it seem like he he'd been cast out but actually it was just he he just was repel re, was so repulsed and 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 but the you know there, there's incredible tender moments where screwtape talks about love which he can't believe he cannot believe he cannot believe he cannot allow himself to believe that unconditional love could exist especially the unconditional love as supposedly evidenced by God and Christ these things it makes no sense it makes no sense that you would unconditionally forgive and love so what, what could they possibly be getting out of it they know it that can't be true so the researchers in hell are working day and night to try and figure out what the secret of it is because it surely this would be a great way of manipulating people you know it ca- it cannot be what they claim it to be so what's the secret and then there's this little there's this little sort of a side where he says some of you know some have speculated that we ever truly understood love you know we should Im- uh, immediately be forgiven and be accepted back into his grace um, and then he dismisses that and it's it's, it's 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 an incredibly powerful moment, and he and he and he's C.S. Lewis is writing this as as British cities are being bombed, and indeed they are being bombed in the book. You know he writes about this. the The main character is having to take shelter from bombing raids, and C.S. Lewis, um and 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 Screw Tape, you know, talks about war. You know the war being making for great campaigning weather. For tempters and demons because it you know makes people sort of start doubting god but he also warns that it can bring people together and it can uh, turn their you know thoughts towards kind of piousness and mortality and that's a danger so you've got to watch out for that and um and c.s lewis doesn't know what's going to happen at the end of the war right he doesn't he doesn't know that britain aren't gonna isn't gonna be it comes out in 19 it, it is published in 1942 he doesn't know that britain isn't going to be invaded and Freaking conquered by the Nazis, and yet he sat down and wrote this. But there's and and it's funny. It's a funny book, but there's an urgency and a poignancy to it that is squeezed out. I, I I think it's much better than the Narnia books for for my money. I mean, it's written for adults, not for children, so maybe that's why. But it's it's much less hectoring. And and I'm you know I'm an atheist with sort of Buddhist leanings and and completely superstitious. I'm um, almost kind of like atavistic uh style um tendencies when i'm anxious which is all the time right like I, I will turn and petition any um interventionist deity who might care to listen uh when i'm worried or scared or whatever but like it, it it's it's kind of like a beautiful work of christian apologetics i think and he was writing it at a time of turmoil, and when he didn't know what the outcome was going to be, and he didn't know what the future was going to be, and there was great uncertainty. And both these books continue to be gifts to this day. You know, something incredible is sort of squeezed out of that pressure. to To take another example, and and, and maybe maybe the fun fi- <laughs> maybe the finest maybe the finest literature of the three but like uh, tove jansson started writing the moomins during the second world war you know in in finland she start she started writing the first two the first two moomin books are kind of like they're they the first one, you know, the Moomins and, and and the Great Flood is about this. I think one of the things that's amazing about the the Moomin books, I'm a really big fan. I, and I also watched the cartoons as a way of summarising some of the plots of them. But I've, you know, read read the first one to my daughter Suki, who's four now, and my in-laws are all Finnish, and I've been to Moominland. Um, I think what's incredible about Moomins tonally that I didn't really get because I hadn't really watched or listened, read them as a kid and then engaged with them as an adult is, is how finished they are in that there's this big division between summer and winter and there's huge kind of like comfortingness and lightness and wonder in the books and also an incredible darkness and melancholy, and genuine threat. Some bits of it are terrifying. There's some bits I I actually cannot talk about with my daughter because she's so scared of. She's a bit scared of of the character who in in English is known as the Groke. But the um the the, the during winter as well when you know most of the Moomins are asleep and hibernating and the um, Maiden of Winter appears and this absolutely terrifying character who can freeze you with a look so scary that even the the, the creature the Groke is scared of them um and actually just some of the um, some of the melancholy and emotional tone of stuff and the way some fears get really you know when moon when troll is turned into a turns into a goblin and his mother and father can't recognize him it's really distressing. He's like they hold it for a long time, the tension of they do not recognize him. And just imagine, you know, for a child the idea that your mum and dad don't know who you are and say, you know, what what are you doing in my house? It's terrifying. And and, and you, you know like uh, Teva Janssen, you know, she she wrote about you know you, you know being living through the second world war and, and and suffering from depression during that time as well just in my fucking hell <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like how do you survive right just just fucking think about that because i'm sure that i'm so like i'm sure i'm not the only one who's had mental health issues to deal with i know i'm not the only one who's a health issues to deal with during this very trying year so you know you have a have an issue like severe anxiety or depression right and then that has been triggered by actual real world undeniably not great events imagine having imagine having depression during the second world war it's like the actual the actual nazis are spreading through europe and you feel depressed well now where's all those people going oh, come on why can't you cheer yourself up go for, go for a walk get some get some sunshine it's like, it's like you can just look at the state of the world and go, um, I think this is pretty depressing, actually. Like it's not, it's not hard to look and see good reasons why you should feel like crap, and yet, this was, and again, I don't want to. These are sort of like all huge high points in a way that could make you feel like, oh well, great. Now what you're saying the the way I got to sort of transmogrify my sadness or the stress of this year and stuff is to write essentially a work at the level that it enters the canon of national myth (laughs) like basically you're saying to me it's got to sell in all of these cases these are all authors who've sold work works have sold in the hundreds of millions this has got to be a def- this has got to become a defining national myth no i'm not saying that but i'm saying that there's something very powerful about engaging with your emotions in these times i think without really bothering being too worried about what other people think about it and and, and my feeling is and i think when i've read bits and pieces about all of these you know biographical stuff and autobiographical stuff by all of these authors talking about their writing my sense is that they were not did not have a huge eye on what anyone else thought at the time they were lost in these works at least at the beginning they were they were kind of obsessed with bringing the world that they, they they were thinking about into existence but not for any particular desire for acclaim at the time i I, you know i know tolkien and um cs lewis certainly had their moments of cs stands for clive staples no wonder he changed it no wonder he always wrote as cs cs lewis sounds like a fantasy author. clive staples lewis sounds like a upholsterer i only said that because of staples i think just an upholsterer probably does use staples but like the yes <laughs> like just and and think of actually about how joyous and comforting the moomins is how affirming it is to have someone in all of these cases actually There's a kind of melancholy that runs through all of those books, but like there's an engagement with death and sadness in all of them and change and the human longing for comfort and meaning. And God, I'm so glad they exist. Gosh, I'm so grateful to these authors for writing them and all the joy that that's the hundreds of millions of people who've written, read, read read those books right who've read their works and how transformative that is how many people have felt less alone because of people's willingness to go into their melancholy to go into their worries to fully inhabit them without fear you know i'm i'm not i i feel like we're talking maybe you know he distanced himself through this idea of myth but i think he ended up writing something that was immensely immensely personal and i think i think the kind of project of it and the sort of uh etymological monkey business uh, around it and the i mean he uh, uh, another kind of like talk his 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 connection with Tove Janssen you know interesting because of course he was a passionate finnish scholar and, and and the great influence on lord of the rings was the uh, finnish the great sort of finnish uh, national myth the uh, kalevala in fact Tolkien nearly failed his degree because <laughs> such a crap way to skive but he'd spent he spent all this time <laughs> like a pet project translating the Kalevala, you know as you do i'll just do some translation from the easy language of finnish into english um but you know that 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 national epic was a big influence on lord of the rings and um i yeah that's you know that's what i think is that whatever you want to write about and I, I, i i've picked some examples that reflect sort of my personal interests and, and loves and penchants but i don't i i feel like you could it doesn't really matter how I, I feel like that how it connects with other people later could be lovely but i don't i think that's sort of one not your business and two is is unlikely to be and I know this sounds like a very sort of controversial statement to say but it's unlikely to be the the main payoff for you even if you have like lines and lines of people queuing up to get their books signed and you know I've done book signings actually you know even like some like uh small fry like me I've done a bunch of book signings I've had queues of people not obviously at their level but like I've had you know lines of people come to talk to me about my books and about my work and the stuff I put out and it is it is lovely don't get me wrong I love to I gosh and if someone enjoyed one of my books great yeah don't get me wrong but the real pleasure, the real joy, is is work. The real, and, and let's even put pleasure and joy aside. The real meaning, the real internal alchemy, the real growth, the real change, the the, the real sort of guts of being a human, even can come through the changes and the inner work that you do when you start writing about stuff that matters to you without fear. Or with fear, but you do it anyway. And you go straight for connecting with the emotional heart of what you care about. That's, that's where it gets fucking exciting. Because actually what matters is not that you write the great next national epic I feel great about actually the two novels I've written because they were what I needed to write and because I look at them and I go I didn't I wrote them for me (laughs) and I wrote them and I'm the only person who could have written them and they're what I wanted them to be and that means a lot to me and I don't actually feel that way so much about my non-fiction book We can't all be astronauts. I feel like I was still finding my way and I feel like in lots of ways I had to do a series of negotiations to get it published that meant I wrote a book that wasn't quite what I meant and um, I just think some of the ways I wrote about myself weren't very authentic and some of the slightly crass jokes I made in there I feel a bit embarrassed of. But I, 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 I just feel maybe like I made some compromises and maybe in other ways tried a bit too hard to sort of appeal to people in a way that wasn't me whereas you know with the honours and the ice house no matter how they're received how many copies they sell and how many people they connect with and i know this is not you know i know publishers have a different feeling about this but for me it's just they were they're what i wanted to do and there's a real peace that comes with that and i think in, in tricky times you know start and and you can and and you're into all this cuz you go you go okay so i'm going to sit down and connect with my you know i'm talking in very abstract terms but you're into all this is to is to you know get your notebook and do your sort of 10 minutes a day do some free writing or some note taking or follow some voices write some monologues you know a a lot of my ways into this are the ways that I've sort of tried to set up in my two free free um courses that I've put online that like getting you into just doing the daily work that starts getting you in tune with the kind of thing you might want to write and you know like I've and and do read because I think that often starts to again you get influenced and you, you know you learn bits of style and also it just like lights little little things resonate with the tuning forks of your heart and you go oh this is this is it this is what i want to write this is the kind of thing i want to write and you kind of you know, use them as models and stuff like that but um quite a few people told me off when i i, I said that i didn't think read 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 which is the, the, this advice that i heard again and again when i was doing my ma from agents would and editors would come to the University of East Anglia, and we'd have these big lectures where they'd talk to us and they'd say, this is, you know, the what you need to do, the number one piece of advice is read, 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 just read loads of books, keep reading, keep reading. And I, I, I got in trouble by saying, I don't think that's great advice. And and I probably didn't phrase it very well. And, um, uh, you know, I'm not the only authority on creative writing. So by all means, take what I'm saying with um, several pinches of salt or just ignore it entirely but i here's what i think i meant and probably phrased it uh, not great um or in in a way that was antagonistic or a bit arsey um one i think some people read all their lives and if you some people read loads and are shite writers so clearly it is not adequate in itself two i just feel like there's so much frigging pressure on people to have read a certain canon of books or be this well read or to have have you read you know i you know there's a cert, there's actually a certain i think maybe maybe and maybe i was a bit speaking to the culture of kind of like creative writing ma's where there's this kind of slightly there's this kind of game that goes around literary circles where you profess embarrassment for not having read and then the aim of the game is to be embarrassed about not having read and then make the book that you haven't read as a ob- that you're embarrassed about not reading as obscure as possible so it's kind of a humble brag because what you're saying is actually my standards are so high so you're like oh god i mean i i, I know it's really embarrassing but i haven't read uh I haven't read A La Recherche de temps Perdue in the original French all the way through. And I know, I know I should have read it. And it's like, really? And and, and what you, the aim is to appear to be confessing something uh, that is self-deprecating while making everyone around you feel hugely pressured. I just think saying to people, read, 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 is a great way to suck all the fun out of reading. It's like just saying, fuck, fuck, fuck. How how can I improve my relationship? Fuck, fuck, fuck. You need to be shagging all the time. Now, a happy and passionate sex life, I'm sure correlates well with relationship happiness, right? For for people who enjoy having sex, of course, there are different types of relationship and you don't, not everybody likes having sex. Uh, That's fine. I don't mean that, but just like, there's nothing (laughs) could be, to just break it down into this stupid... is this thing that's basically about volume. Read if and when you enjoy it. If you don't, then don't. I, I just don't imagine anyone sits down to write who doesn't enjoy reading and who doesn't read books. If you don't, you're still allowed to write. I, I feel that's the kind of thing that might get me crucified for saying. You know, like, just you're still allowed to write. If you don't read. It's all... I don't mind. Like, why would I say... If it brings you pleasure to write, you're allowed to. Pro- look, it probably reading i i I, like i can't a b test my life i'm sure that i'm a, a, a miles 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 better writer for reading and enjoying other books i but i write because i read stuff that i love you know i just read susanna clark's new novel yesterday i did not read it because i'm a professional writer who needs to read other people's shit I read, I did not read it because an agent said to me, read, read, read. I did not read it because I thought I was going to, like, level up or I was going to, like, just suck its guts out like it was a an oyster on a platter and I was going to go and then take, ingest its essence. Has reading, will reading it have made me a slightly better writer and made me feel more inspired to write? Yeah, probably. But that's not why I sat down to write it, to read it. I sat down to read it because I was excited and it was fucking great and I just got to enjoy it and it was great and of course editors and agents and authors are going to say read 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 and defend that whenever it's threatened whenever someone challenges it because we make money when you read 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 but honestly who gives a fuck like just do what you like (laughs) and I think especially because people you know within the literary circles especially authors don't realize how elitist we come off because it makes it sound like you need to have read loads and, and you don't you can start i I suspect if you start writing you'll be your your ability to I, I, you know like if you want to read better and you want to be able to understand more books and you want to enjoy them more then maybe my advice would be write, write, write. you know like i feel like writing can really unlock pleasure in reading and make you appreciate that these books are not artifacts they're not meteors that punched down from heaven and were found in these kind of storied relics they're just stuff that were made by like gobshites and shit munchers like me and you who sat down one day and, and just fucking stumbled and blundered their way through and figured it out by flawed human beings who who shat and lied and paid bills and had breakups and doubted themselves and tore stuff up and didn't know how it was going to finish just like the rest of us you know and and there's just, just there's something I feel again like I feel like you're more likely to read loads if it's an intrinsic motivation if you're reading for pleasure because you have found stories and authors who you love not because there's this normative influence there's this orthodoxy saying you have to because otherwise you're a monster if you say anything else come on guys come on it's like are we so are we so paranoid and insecure about our work that we think we have to shame people into reading it's like if you don't you don't read if you don't want to i think you're missing out <laughs> there's so many fucking amazing stories out there but do what you like honestly do what you like i i read cuz i love stories because i love words because it is a sustaining exciting thing for me and i I do kind of... There was a famous experiment, actually, in social psychology where they got some kids to do some drawing and then they split they split them into two groups and one group did some drawing and got no reward and the other group were promised a reward if they all did some drawing. And then afterwards they observed those two groups and guess which group chose to do to continue to do, who chose to do more drawing the yeah the group who didn't get any reward and the group who were rewarded were much more likely to stop drawing and lose interest in it even if they'd been quite interested in it before funnily enough it actually they lost some of their previous motivation to draw now they had been offered a reward for it. I feel like when we kind of do this shift towards, you know, you do something, whether it be writing or reading, because you should, because you're going to get something out of it, because it's what we do. I think that's a really good way to kill your motivation stone dead, and then you feel guilty, and then you go, why why can't I do this? Maybe I'm not a writer. God, I should push myself to do it more, and, you, and, then, and that which lowers your your enjoyment even more because it's full of guilt now and it's associated with lack and punishment blah blah blah, on and on until you can't do it who's who's been there and then looked around and gone where is my beautiful life how did I get here I used to love this well because you started fucking listening to people saying read 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 I you know I'm sure that makes some people really angry or think I'm being unfair I probably am it's just. I don't think reading needs us to go out for to bat for it. I think it just. It will be fine. Like read if you want to. I think it is a self-reinforcing activity when it's done for love and pleasure and for, when you come to it, yourself. I think when it is laid out as a grim duty, a religious observance that's something that the pious author ought to be doing maybe you'll continue doing it but it'll be less fun and it'll be just 20% shittier to do and guess what I think if you just leave yourself alone you will naturally read tons because it's great so that was my little talk about all sorts of things I hope you're well I hope you're happy. Look, I know I can be a little bit of a curmudgeon sometimes, right? Like I want, I want to be likable. I want to be all kind of like cuddly. Oh, Tim! Oh, poor Tim's feeling a bit sad today. Or oh, poor, poor, vulnerable Tim. And then, and then, just you give me a little moment to get to get going, and I'm suddenly like, listen here, listen here, you twats. This is why you know. This is one of the reasons. Like as much as I say, oh, I'm off social media because. You know, I post on stuff for work occasionally, but I don't ever read my timelines or anything. Just any messages I get from people. But you know, as much as I, I kind of go, oh, it's because I don't want to see the news, and I just want to like concentrate on my writing, and it's because I. But I, actually, it's because like often I'm the asshole on it, right? Like I don't don't get me wrong, I'm I'm not. You know, haters gonna make some valid points sometimes. You know, like I am quite, I am quite capable of being like an aggy little shit. And just leaping in to opine about a post someone else has made, and it's just like Tim, come on, man. Uh, and and also, and also, I can be terribly brittle. You know, I uh, you know I am insecure and emotionally vulnerable. I that is definitely me, right? Like uh, many times, I think I'm a worthwhile, lovable person, but I am also terribly, terribly. Uh, sensitive and insecure sometimes and I, I I think probably I shouldn't be fucking mouthing off about stuff and <laughs> telling other people what to think and sometimes jumping into other people's posts to go well I actually think you're wrong I shouldn't be doing that if I can't accept it from other people and and and, and so I, I think that's another reason why I sort of step back I was, just, I was just like come on man like I I don't think this is a good use of your time or anyone else's to um, so so I I, lo- I I've enjoyed doing this because it allows me to talk about these things in in s I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to be controversialist or or sort of mischievous or or um, ruffle any feathers. It's Just a thought, right? And and I like to think people live it listening to this. Nobody thinks of me as some kind of fucking all-knowing guru on creative writing, right? Like I realize like my words carry weight and so I've got a responsibility but you know other creative writers are available I'm just I'm making my own pitch for something I believe maybe next week I believe something else but you know by by, I I, and I know that you are capable of like making your own decisions I think it's yeah I don't think yeah you're fine right you can hear me talk about stuff and um not immediately revert to my opinion because um you understand i'm just a guy with a microphone look i hope you have a wonderful wonderful day today thank you for listening to me i hope this has been enjoyable for you um just try and do 10 minutes today that's all i'm asking from you you know like set a timer do 10 minutes on something something some you know you could make a list make a you know make a list of what's because sort of names make a list of what's going on for you some write a diary for 10 minutes something just turning up every day is going to start like i'm um, opening up the uh, opening up your intuition you know your little receptors and then you can start tuning into what your heart wants to write about i hope things are going okay for you um thanks for listening it's been really really fun doing this and if you want to write to me you know you can go on my website Timclairpoet.co.uk. there's a um there's a little contact me button and you can drop me a line if there's anything you want to talk about or something you'd like me to talk about on a future episode in any case thank you for sticking with me this far and i wish you sincerely deeply in my heart a wonderful week of writing